So on this second Sunday in Lent, it's kind of strange, you might ask yourself, why does the church, why does the Holy Spirit in the liturgy give us this reading of the transfiguration? Aren't we supposed to be talking about temptations and trials and testing? Like, I don't know, wouldn't there be some other gospel that would be more fitting? Except that I kind of consider it to be like a, a movie trailer at the beginning of the movie. And you're given a glimpse ahead of time of things that will come much later. Or a little spoiler if you want, whatever. And I think that's, that's relevant because maybe like you're on week two of Lent and week one hasn't been going so well. Maybe you're struggling. That resolution you thought you were going to make, well, you never made it. Or you made it and you haven't really kept it. Or you fell a few times. And this is almost like a shot in the arm. Like as if to say, look, I know it's hard, but hey, something really beautiful and glorious is coming. Wait for it. It's worth it. Double your efforts. Get back in the fight. Go back. Get your hands dirty. And, and, and make this happen for you. Because I do think that very much that's what he was doing for the three apostles. He was allowing them to see his fullness of glory, heavenly glory shining through his body, his clothes, everything. God literally, visibly in the flesh. Because in less than a week, they were going to be seeing the other transfiguration, you could say. That same body crucified, filleted, beaten, bruised, spat upon. And he was giving them the support they would need so that that would not scandalize them. That would not trip them up. Or at least if it did, they would be able to come back later and repent and whatever, follow him, trust in him, believe in him, even though they're looking at that. So he's helping them. He's supporting their faith. He's supporting our faith. And he's nourishing us because at times we do struggle very much. And it's, what happens to the body of Jesus is always a foretaste of what's going to happen to us divine life, heavenly glory, God's own light poured into our hearts. It happened at your baptism. You don't see it. Remember at the end of the story, they saw only Jesus alone, the carpenter's son, yet they believed in what they had seen. Same as your baptism. Something tremendous happens in that moment. And then it happens, and it's gone, and you see only a little baby screaming, crying baby, who is yet nonetheless tremendously changed. I say that because we're having baptisms today afterwards. But it happened to each one of us. You see each other. You see only, oh, that's just Susie, my annoying sister. No, no, there's nothing ordinary or boring about that person anymore. But let me talk about the transfiguration because for me, I had a different takeaway I wanted to share with you. Because Christ, at the foot of the mountain, before they go up, Christ knows he's about to do something incredible. He's about to give them a grace that he knows they're going to need. He's planning for it. But that gift and that grace that he's going to give them comes with a condition. You have to go up a high mountain. It's not right here. It's not here's a free gift. No, it's going to cost you. It's up a high mountain. And so in my mind, I am also watching how The Chosen, when you produce a movie, you have what's called poetic license, right? There's a real story, and then you kind of invent a few things to fill in the gaps. So bear with me, this is a little poetic license. This is what I call the untold story before the transfiguration. The rest of the story, if you want. And this is about um, how Jesus invited Peter, James, and Judas. Okay, we'll talk about this. It's not true, it's poetic license, but I do think it's easy for us to imagine, based on our own experience, that we know we have many opportunities from God given to us, many invitations, and we miss those invitations. We simply walk away. We have the unbelievable potential to say no to God, to ignore His calls. We do get carried away 
by lesser things, earthly things. Money, career, sports, school, pressures here, pressures there, my feelings, my whims, what I'm into, what I'm not into, my comfort sets limits that God can't stretch me beyond. And we do literally get carried away from things of heaven because of things of earth that hold us down, pull us down, and keep us from saying yes to God's invitations. Like the thorns, remember we talked about the sower sowing seed everywhere, and some seed fell upon the thorny ground and the thorns choked it? That's our experience. And the seed that God is offering us doesn't bear any fruit. And think about this in your own life, like whether it comes to like being invited to Mass and you can't make it, or invited to confession, well, I don't do confession because that's weird. Or being invited to volunteer in some way, or PSR, or whatever else, like, some involvement, some gentle nudge on my conscience, some invite, invitation to get more involved in the faith activities. And we, we all know how easy it is to walk away. There's a lot of stuff during Lent as well, retreats, other things like that. So, bear with me, but Jesus invited Peter, James, and Judas up the mountain. Notice a few things, first of all. Jesus did not invite everyone. He invited just a few, those he had chosen for this. Secondly, Jesus does not explain every detail ahead of time. He doesn't say, all right, listen guys, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go up in the mountain, and you're going to see heaven in your midst, and it's going to be so glorious. He doesn't say a word. He just says, come on guys, we're going. You, you, and you, let's go. Nothing else. No instruction manual, no elaboration, just trust and follow me. Lastly, for Jesus, he didn't make it easy. Again, up a high mountain. I can only imagine the other nine apostles sitting there saying, whew, thank goodness he didn't ask me. Good luck, Judas, Peter, John, have a good time. We'll see you at the bottom. We're going to cook lunch now. Actually, we had the grace to go to what's considered to be Mount Tabor, where it happened. And it's not, a, it's not Monkey Hill. It's, it's a high mountain. It took a long time to get to the top, in cars, much less walking. Also, when Jesus did this, this was not an extra, some sort of surplus gift. You know, here's an extra, I got some free time, guys, let's do this. No, he knew they were going to need it. Christ was investing a lot in this because they were going to need it. And only he knew what was coming. Only he could have known that they were going to need this. They could not have known. St. Augustine says a very powerful line, Beware the grace of God that passes never to return. In other words, if God dares to offer you an opportunity, careful before you miss it. Careful not to pass it up. So I do picture Judas, when Jesus, when he, whatever happens, happens, like at some point he passes this up. So let's ponder this a little bit. Because it's easier for us to imagine some scenarios, even based on our own experience. Maybe Jesus has to repeat his invitation. He's, he gave the announcements to everybody, here's what's going to happen. And he tells everyone else what to do. And he's like, okay, that's over with the announcements. Um, Peter and James and Judas and Judas is like wait what wait what are we doing huh he didn't hear the announcements he wasn't paying attention when Jesus was giving the announcements he was looking at his watch saying Get up. what's the next thing let's go let's move he missed the announcements or he didn't realize that oh that announcement applies to me wait that, that one was for me so he struggles at first he hesitates and the excuses begin to flow wait Jesus Wait, up a mountain? Gosh, that's not really convenient, Lord. Um, even a two-day journey? Really, two days? Gosh, I'd have to change my plans for that. That's a long time to miss out on things down here. 
I don't know. I, I could get so much more done by staying down here. Remember, I'm in charge of finances. Think of how much money I could be gaining if I just keep doing the work thing, focusing on my career. I'm not, I'm not sure I can and take time away from that. I might miss the fishing trip that was scheduled or the sports tournament, whatever else. Please, Lord, consider me excused. Which is actually, Jesus took another parable about people invited to something, and one by one they each said for different reasons, please, consider me excused. Or, in this scenario, perhaps Judas says, well, gosh, Lord, Peter and James, I looked at the list of the other ones you invited. I'm not sure this, this excursion is for me. They're not really my peeps. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. I'll pass on this one. This retreat's for other people. Or, I don't know, Lord, I'm really not feeling it. I'm not getting really good vibes about this. Uh, honestly, too, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with all that I'm doing for you. It's enough. Let the, the, the stuff I do, the way I volunteer, whatever, it's enough. My, my plate's kind of full. Um, I've done a lot already. It's about balance, right? It's about balance. I'm good. I'm okay the way I am. I'm good with what I have. I don't need more. There will be other mountains, and I'll go next time. Consider me excused. I can almost hear our Lord. Did he say perhaps, are you sure you don't want to discern that? You sure you don't want to just take a moment? Maybe we can talk about the details? Fill you in a little bit, help you understand? No, you don't? You're good? You sure? You're going to need this. And then I hear Jesus kind of say, well, actually, Lord, I, I did pray. I did, I kind of prayed. And I was f trying to figure out how I was feeling about this and maybe the, the movements in my heart. I, I don't know, but your father told me I didn't have to go. Take John instead. Ask John. So, Judas thought he was okay. And Peter, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up the high mountain and he was transfigured before them. They saw the glory of God. Their own faith was reinforced, fortified, strengthened. And mystery of mysteries, Judas freely chose to miss it. I think that my point is, is not that he should have gone or shouldn't have gone, is that he didn't discern. He didn't listen. Like the, the word of the Gospels, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Judas did not discern. He followed his feelings, or he followed his initial reaction, of this feels good, this feels bad, or, or this is convenient, inconvenient. He, he calculated it based on the pros and cons and whether or not it fit into his convenient schedule or not. Like all that reactionary stuff, none of which was, let me pause and pray about that. Let me speak with my spiritual director. Jesus, let's talk about it before I make a decision so that I can be sure that I'm following you. Not me, not my feelings, not my whims, not my peeps, but you. Jesus missed the grace. Judas, sorry, Judas missed the grace. Judas was not ready. Judas fell and fell hard. And he never recovered from that fall. You know, part of me also pictures Judas after the fact of the, the end of the story, after his betrayal and, and just whatever. You almost picture the conversation. Wait, Lord, if you knew this was going to happen, why didn't you prepare me? Why didn't you, like, open my eyes, allow me to see? What would God say? I did. I tried to. 
Maybe that's the moment when Jesus himself kind of turned and wept a little bit, knowing that this was passed up so lightheartedly, so flippantly, and what was going to happen because of it. It's the mystery of human freedom. The mystery of God's attitude and God's gifts restricted by our limits on Him, our free will choosing without Him. I say that, again, it's not about, oh, the church says so, so I have to go, or Jesus, Father, Father, so-and-so says so, so I have to go, I was invited, I have to go. No, it's, there's no have to. There's discern. And we could give a whole series of, of talks on what that means, but I just, in this episode, I just kind of focus on what that is not, what discernment is not. And in First World American Church, we, we do have a struggle with this. We don't know how to discern. Whether it's, do I sign up for this, or do I volunteer for that? Do I go on this retreat? Do I come to adoration in the evening? When I'm invited to confession, do I say yes, or confession is not for me, or whatever? The church teaches this, and I don't like the church teaching that. It's not comfortable for me. I want, if God wants me to do something, God can tell me directly. Those kinds of American attitudes, first world comfortable church attitudes. This event doesn't fit on my schedule, it's not comfortable, it's whatever. I don't know where the schedule is, I don't know who's going. I'm not going to the parents' social because, I mean, they're trying to equip me to help form my, parent, my kids in the faith, but parents' socials, my schedule's too busy. I'm just going to react and I'm not going to make it because I'm too busy. That's not discernment. That's not listening to him. That's reacting. That's going with the flow. That's doing what other people might be doing. That's doing what might be some sort of good thing, but not God's thing for me to do. And so often we tell God, you need to fit into my limits. You need to fit into my schedule. You need to first consider my comfort zone and make sure that what you ask of me is within those restrictions. And that's not right at all. When the church puts something on the schedule or the activities or opportunities or formation or whatever else, it's like, oh, those extra things, I don't, I'm, I'm too busy with the more important things. Those are not extras. God doesn't offer gifts that are extras. There's not a single gift offered that is extra from God. He offers it because we need it. And so often we flippantly say, no, I'm good. I'm comfortable. And we wonder why we have such a hard time when tests come and bad things happen and our faith is tested so easily because it really wasn't ever fortified. It was hardly ever there. One day I'll get more involved when I'm retired. That's silly. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Why are you waiting? I'll go on that retreat when it's the perfect scenario. I'll go on that retreat when the perfect people are going that I'll be comfortable with. There's no perfect people. It's Peter and James. They got their problems. They got their drama. If our Lord's inviting you, go and don't worry about them. It's for you that he's inviting you. And my point in all this is not, I mean, whatever, it's, it's, it's really about just realizing we've all been there. We've all been in Judas's shoes. We've all had a moment of grace offered to us, and we kind of arrogantly or pridefully or flippantly walked away. And the point now, we're still at week two of Lent. It's a chance to say, Lord, if you offered opportunities for me that I dismissed, I'm really sorry. I ask your forgiveness for seeds you invested in my life 
which I allowed to just sit there and the thorns choked them and they never bore any fruit. Not only for me, but for others, you intended that fruit to reach. It wasn't there because I didn't do my part. And I ask that you would make up for what I didn't receive. That's what this is for. And then turning the page, today, I have a blank slate. Lord, right now, what are opportunities that are right in front of me? Opportunities that maybe you are giving to me. An invitation for this or for that or whatever else. An opportunity to pray. Remember, Jesus is always in the tabernacle. Always there 24-7. Come visit him. Come spend some time with him. When you finish your night, at the end of your day, pause. Precisely so you can look at the seeds that we're planting just, just in that 24-hour period. Lord, don't let me miss anything. How can I respond? Today, what are you asking me to respond to? So many churches are putting out their liturgy schedules, their, their opportunity schedules, their faith formation schedules, especially for Lent. There's confession offered more abundantly. Examine our hearts. What are the limits I'm putting on what God can or cannot ask of me? Lord, I don't want your church to tell me, I want you know, to get past all the problems we have with what we hear about the church. It's the church. It's the apostles. You can like them, not like them. They're just the messengers. Don't dismiss the message and the gifts because you don't like the messenger. We ponder our Blessed Mother. It's always striking when the angel appeared to her at the Annunciation. He gave her no details. He simply said, you will conceive and bear a son, you will name him Jesus, he will be great, whatever. No mention of, by the way, he's going to be crucified. That kind of got put at the end of the contract. It wasn't even mentioned, because there was no contract. Her response is beautiful, faith-filled, be it done unto me according to your word. That's faith, that's trust. That's a reality that the fundamental direction of my life is not to tell you what to do, God, but to follow someone else, to follow you, God. Which means I'm not in the driver's seat making my own decisions. You're in the driver's seat. And I'm following what are your decisions. Help me to discern them responsibly, not flippantly. Because they may not come again. St. Augustine, beware the grace of God that passes never to return. Amen? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, pray for us.